And so a lot of times what I'm trying to do is really look at, well, what is this thing that we think of as kind of woo? Where is the science underneath the thing that most people think of as kind of woo? And upward spirals is a perfect example. It sounds really hippy dippy. And in actuality, it's measurable effects. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. We are talking today with Darlene Marshall about the fascinating interplay between holistic wellness coaching and positive psychology and how it can help you unlock your full potential. We'll explore the concept of holistic wellness, how emotions can be used as information, and the power of upward spiraling for building resilience and enhancing performance. We'll dive into habit priming, neurological flexibility, and the balance between ancient traditions and modern science. Darlene Marshall is a holistic wellness coach who's been working in the fitness and wellness space since 2012. She's an expert at the intersection of fitness, wellness, and well-being, and was named America's favorite trainer by Bernalong in 2021. She hosts the Better Than Fine podcast. Make sure to follow, make sure to subscribe, Better Than Fine, and is certified with NASM in wellness coaching and personal training. I was personally introduced to Darlene through my friend and fellow podcaster, Carl Berryman of Inspired by Impact. And then I started following her podcast, Better Than Fine, and she explores the interplay between ancient traditions and modern science. So topics on her recent episodes, things like the benefit of time outdoors, mindset topics like analysis paralysis, and even the additive approach to nutrition. So check it out. She has a master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania and additional certifications in nutrition coaching, neurolinguistic programming, 200-hour YTT and alignment yoga, and training in sleep coaching, motivational interviewing, meditation, and mindfulness. You can find her on Instagram at Darlene.coach or on her couch with her two cats. Darlene, I am truly excited to welcome you to the show. Hi, Philip. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here with you. Awesome. Um, and I, I want to start right with that unique background you had we were talking about beforehand, which is holistic wellness coaching, but also this degree in applied positive psychology. And the combination really appeals to me because behavior and psychology, they really seem to be at the heart of why people do or do not achieve the results they want or you know, put in place the wellness practices that, that will serve them. So help me and the listener understand how your expertise in positive psychology has influenced your values and your approach as a coach. Maybe it's even the foundation of your practice. Oh, I think it'd be hard for me to tease them apart at this point. Um, but I, you know, I came in the positive psychology space primarily still working as a personal trainer. Um, so I was teaching yoga and mindfulness meditation, working with um, my clients one on one, and entered the positive psychology space with every intention to primarily bring those tools back into a fitness context. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and mm -hmm. you know, obviously things changed for a lot of people, but. Part of my study, part of what I was really diving into was on positive, lasting behavior change. And really, 
the big shift for me came was in this big recognition of how people actually change effectively. And so much of the fitness paradigm is prescriptive, right? We're telling people what to do. When in actuality, a lasting behavior change comes from having an internal shift on your behavior. And that's where really the coaching paradigm kind of took over my practice. And of course, the other big lens shift was in the fitness space. I was trained that a lot of times you're looking for during the consult, like, okay, what are they doing wrong? What's their movements mm-hmm. thing? Where are their faults in their movement patterns? Um, where are they like messing up in their nutrition? And that was the lever that you tried to angle, right? To, mm-hmm. to sell your package. And that really was the paradigm I was trained in as a trainer. Whereas in a positive psychology lens, you're not looking at what's wrong with people. You're looking for what's right with people. And then how do we use that to help you get to where you want to go? And it was really this shift to focus on, I'm not going to tell my client in the consult everything they're doing wrong anymore. I'm going to praise their positives. I'm going to look for their strengths, their resilience, and their calling and purpose, which then gives them a reason to change from a positive lens. And so those are probably the biggest paradigm shifts that led me out of only working as a a trainer in a fitness professional context and now doing this much more holistic, hybrid kind of Mm -hmm. everything, everything in in the kitchen sink except for career. (laughs) Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, at least it makes sense to me, but I I, I do want to dig in a little bit. You said you, you evolved from the training, which I never did training. Like I came from the corporate world. I was a manager, a coach, people leader. I think a lot of those aspects resonate. Like what you say resonates with me is like why people do what they do. And understanding that first is helpful. You went from a trainer to this other paradigm. I mean, was there a particular client that really helped you make that transition? Was it just bit by bit over time it happened? Well, even when I came into grad school, I was coming in having already gotten certifications in nutrition, sleep, yoga, mm-hmm. meditation, mindfulness, mm-hmm. NLP, motivational interviewing. Like, pick okay. your thing. I had the piece of paper. It was just missing the the positive psychology piece. And the clients I was working with at the time, I graduated in 2020. So I was finishing grad school in lockdown, writing my master's thesis in lockdown, and all of my clients had gone remote. And obviously, we were all under this big pressure cooker of of a massive, not self-imposed change. And a lot of the conversations we were having at the time were on resilience behaviors and burnout. Mm -hmm. And, And so really, that suite of clients was a lot of the pivot for how do we build sustainable resilience that isn't a buzzword, but it actually is fostering the person that, you know, a decade from now, when you look back on this time, who do you want to have been? How can you create that person with intentionality? And really, that was a lot of the incubator for what I'm doing now. So isn't it amazing how the pandemic caused that for many of us and working from home, you started to have all this special training and um, special interventions and like at risk and and high risk for retention, at least again, from the corporate world, it sounds very similar where you started to focus on the individual well-being, but it was kind of given lip service in in many contexts or, you know, it was kind of this forced training. Oh, yeah. And what you're saying is right that, you know, we don't want it to be buzzword. You you dived in and really understood that. Oh, that's awesome. as a as a coach, and we can get into the, what a coach is, because I know that's a whole thing. That's the whole <laughs> um, thing. <laughs> it's like, I know what you mean when you're working with clients, you're like, they ask you a question. 
I'm not going to find the answer in this book over here about nutrition. You know, there's this deeper thing going on that they need help with. So just, just one more level deep on the field of applied positive psychology. The words are obvious, right? Linguistically applied something that you do versus theory and then positive as opposed to negative, right? Sounds great. How does that differ from traditional psychology and why should we care about that distinction? Yeah. So traditional psychology really focused on what's wrong with people, right? Um, and and no fault to, you know, the great grand mm. poobahs of, of psychology. It really was because, you know, when you're looking at scientific disciplines, you've got the hard sciences of things like chemistry, physics, mathematics. And so those early psychological practitioners wanted to be taken seriously. And at that time, in that milieu, you know, we're talking mostly about European educated affluent men, you weren't going to be taken seriously talking about love, right? You were going to be taken seriously saying, we're going to solve the problems of the mind using a Western medical model, which was identify disease and correct it. And that's really traditional psychology. Yeah. I'm I'm laughing because I'm just thinking like just the classic man, woman paradigm. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> and and, my oh wife, we can get into some of that. Like, too. you know what I'm saying? Like my, my wife knows I always try to fix problems and you know and and try to be more empathetic and, and not do that. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> well, and 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 I'm not throwing shade at that. Like sure, sure. that's a, a well-intentioned for any scientist, regardless of discipline, mm-hmm. that you identify a problem, you develop a hypothesis, you run experiments. But but where we ended up by the mid 20th century was okay maybe we've got some like decent treatments for you know schizophrenia bipolar disorder right right the dysfunctions in the mind but i know this was my experience with therapy in my 20s okay the absence of all of the bad stuff i've mapped all the trauma i've done all the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques i can get myself to neutral gear the absence of the bad stuff's not the same as the presence of the good stuff so we took out all of the stuff. Now the bucket's empty. Well, what do we put in the bucket? Hmm. Positive psychology is the focus on all the things that are good with people. So I don't refer to it as the science of happiness. I refer to it as the science of well-being, human well-being, because there's so much more to a well-lived life. That's the phrase we're trying to get mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. There's so much more to a well-lived life than soft quotes here, happiness, because happiness is a state, just like sadness is a state. And happiness can come and go, but purpose, meaning, calling, love, you know, the ability to build a sustainable lifestyle that then supports me in actualizing on my purpose is so much richer. And that's really what positive psychology is about. Um, When Martin Seligman, who's considered to be the founder of the field, but he's not the only one, um, they all are (laughs) affluent white guys, um, and also to their credit, have recognized the gap that that creates. And so we're trying to do better as a field. Um, but Seligman, when UPenn offered to start a positive psychology program, he insisted that it had to be an applied program because you don't build well-being by thinking about it. And, and I always use the metaphor of the gym. You don't get stronger by thinking about lifting. You got to pick up the heavy stuff. You don't build well-being by thinking about, oh, these are all the things I should be grateful for. An effective gratitude practice, you're actually taking the time to pull up the emotional experience. And so just writing your three gratitude things is an exercise and obligation, not in cultivating an emotional state. Um, So you have to do it for it to work. And that's where the applied piece really comes in. 
that that's great. So it's like the when we talk about holistic wellness, I, it sounds like positive psychology fits into the pie of psychology yeah. to give you holistic psychology, I guess, right? Which is a piece of wellness. I mean, where does it where does it fit into wellness overall? If you were to to make that into a big diagram or something, you know, it depends yeah. whose model we use. So uh, my show is produced by NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine. I was one of the authors on their wellness coaching certification, and I'm very proud of it. Um, they define it as um, mental, physical, and emotional betterment of life as wellness as a whole. And then the tools of that being movement, nutrition, sleep, recovery, and regeneration, and mental and emotional well-being. I, if we're going to make the pie metaphor, I would say positive psychology is the pan if we include embodiment mm -hmm. as part of the, the modality in positive psychology. Obviously, I'm a body person. I'm, that's primarily how I mm -hmm. work with people. Um, Positive psychology for a long time focused only on the, the mental experience. And fortunately, one of the evolutions in the space has been to include the fact that like, hey, we have a body yeah. and how you take care of it is going to directly impact state. And more and more, we're seeing that play out in the world. So I, I'm grateful to see it all evolve. Yeah, we're not a disembodied brain. That that actually Ooh. sounds like a nightmare. But yes, <laughs> we need all of our. Yeah, and I, it's funny because that again resonates. Like the language I sometimes use was is, is this physical self mastery. How like to to exist and function in the world, it is a physical world. So why wouldn't everything integrate with that in some way, even mentally, right? Yeah. So, all right, because sometimes people think of holistic in the foo-foo sense of it, right? Yoga, Woo -woo. meditation, mindfulness, right? Woo. -woo. Um, for others, it's maybe the more definition. Uh, the literal definition of whole, right? Everything integrated yeah. approach. So um, I guess, okay, I guess we talked about holistic wellness. So you mentioned actualization before. So when we talk about um, the mind and positive psychology and applying all of these practices and then actualization be becoming more of, I guess, your aligned self is the way you've put it. Uh, where do we go from there? So where do we take, where do we take it and actually put it into practice? It's a broad yeah. question. Yeah. Well, I want to circle back to the woo-woo thing. Sure, go for it, Because please. I do think that that's an important piece. Um, yeah. And where I settle on that, especially with a client, is around belief. You don't have to believe what I believe in order for us to have a meaningful conversation around belief, but that's going to be an important mechanism when it comes to building your lifestyle because your value system, your meaning-making is all going to come out of however you think all this works. And, you know, you mentioned like yoga and meditation is kind of like a woo-woo thing. But when we look at even the mechanisms of the nervous system and what something like meditation is doing in the nervous system, you don't have to believe in a higher power for that whole skill set to be true. So there's fortunately all of these layers that we're getting to examine now because we have the technology to look at things that 50 years ago were being poo-pooed as nonsense. Um, so it just, it's a very exciting time to be a practitioner in the space. Um, and then you had asked me another question that I honestly don't remember what you asked me about. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get into like emergent actualization and, and oh, upward, yeah. spir upward spiraling. You want to, we can yeah. jump into that. So, cause what you, I didn't, I had never heard that term before upward spiraling, right? Yeah. Um, which is again, linguistically the opposite of downward spiraling. Uh, it's these positive feedback loops, right? To reinforce yep. things, reinforce well-being, create momentum, um, build your resources and so on. So explain the concept, how they help us be more resilient, perform better and All how we can do it. Why they matter. How we can Why do you it. care? Yeah. Why you care? And, and I love to just point out the difference between this and like, 
some of the woo woo, like wellness nonsense. And I, I, I was allergic to the word wellness. I had no desire to be a wellness practitioner. When NASM approached me about contributing to their wellness coaching certification, um, it's essentially like, hey, we're building the thing that you always wanted to exist. Do you want to be a part of it? Oh, hey, you just have to swallow this pill. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll call Mm -hmm. it wellness. Um, But when we talk about upward spiraling, we're talking about integration, we're talking about actualization, We are talking about measurable effects in the human experience. And so upward spirals specifically are when you take two or more phenomenon in someone's life, two or more interventions or practices, whatever we want to call them, and they create a positive feedback loop that is building, whether we call it capacity, we call it resilience, you know, there's all these different ways that we can measure it. But we'll take, for example, you know, a meditation practice, like a mindfulness practice and a positive emotional priming practice. So this would be something like you're doing morning meditation and you're doing evening gratitude. And because of the morning meditation is increasing your mindfulness and the gratitude is affecting your default mode network, um, construct in the brain, um, you start sleeping better and your mood is improving. And now because you're sleeping better and your mood is improving, it's easier to meditate longer. Your gratitude practice is getting richer. So you're sleeping better, your mood is improving, you're feeling so much better your relationships improve. Now you're communicating better because you have more self-awareness and, 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 and there's, there's, you know, a two, I want to say there's two dozen documented upward spirals. Um, but there's many theorized that we just haven't gotten the funding or the research to go out and measure yet, yet being the operant where my work comes in. What I wrote my master's thesis on was the way in which these Upward spirals, which have been measured in the short term, integrate with one another and creating compounding positive effects toward sustainable lifestyle change, right? What does lifestyle transformation actually look like? And what I found in my work was when we take something like Maslow's peak experiences, right? These are your big touchstones, the birth of a child, standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and experiencing your own smallness going to space, right? Um, the overwatch effects is one of my favorite things to research. This is mm-hmm. what happens to uh, an astronaut going to space for the first time. And they have this profound feeling of awe and wholeness and oneness with all of humanity. And then they end up coming back and like starting nonprofits and doing, doing mm-hmm. like completely divergent work from where they were before because of that profound self-transcendent experience. And when I talk about actualization, when I talk about wellness for integration, what I'm talking about is the way in which our wellness practices, our self-development practices, leadership development, whatever work we're doing within ourselves is really looking for what's the next lesson, what's the next important skill set that I'm going to integrate into my lifestyle in a sustainable way so that I can serve my purpose, my calling, whatever that is right now, and also recognize that I'm continuing to grow as a person. Mm. So oftentimes when I have conversations about actualization, people think it's like one thing and it's never going to be one thing because you are in an emergent experience of your life. And as that horizon continues to grow back, you're going to have new and exciting experiences of actualization if you allow yourself to keep growing in that way. 
Okay. So, so that's you, the big yeah. kit and caboodle. Yeah. No, no, you explained <laughs> it really well because I, I've heard it talked about once or twice and, and kind of understood where you were going, but I always like to get very concrete for people, especially, you know, selfishly, how can I use this to help people in my practice yeah, as well? Of course. And I remember taking a, actually a, a friend of mine, her name is Stephanie Caputo and she and her husband have a, a company. They, they do, um, there's something called navigating life and it had these three spiral, they call them spirals and they were overlapping and one was relationship, one was physical, and then one was another. And I can't remember what it is. The same concept of, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to improve everything at once and it's not a switch, right? And pick the things that are, maybe you're, you have strengths and pick the things that are the big go-gets maybe and, and kind of work on those. And then as they improve, the other ones get brought up. So you mentioned 12 or you said two dozen, there's two dozen of these, like there's actual things that are upward oh, spirals. Yeah. Like, so give me an example of one specific one. Um, so mood and, um, self-directed physical activity. So especially if you do it with other people, um, so choosing a physical activity that you enjoy, we know that within the next 24 hours, you're more likely to say good things happened and you'll say more good things happened, um, in 24 hours after you engage in some kind of physical activity. Well, because of that, like literal increased sensitivity to positive experience. We can now measure it when the initial tests, you know, when the initial research were done on that effect, we couldn't measure it yet. Now we can measure that physical activity makes you more sensitive to your own serotonin through the endocannabinoid system. So, okay, you're more sensitive to your own serotonin. You, Philip, my new friend are being nice to me. I'm going to have a mood boost. Now, because I'm in a better mood, I'm more likely to repeat it again tomorrow. Now I continue that positive effect of being like high on my own serotonin supply. Mm. That's an upward spiral dynamic, right? Because I'm in a better mood, I'm going to be looking for more opportunities to continue to grow and improve. Um, There's upward spirals between meditation, mindfulness, and relationships. Um, there, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to pop them off the top of my head. I didn't have them ready. And two no, dozen no, was a spitball. Those. I'm just thinking of like, okay, what are the upward spirals? I know it's probably about two dozen, but I, that number might be wrong. I don't want to, I don't want anybody to go hunt and be like, she said it was two dozen and it's only 18. Like the internet. Yeah, no, I didn't mean that. Guy. What was interesting was that it was these, this concrete list that we were oh, yeah. starting to compile, which then of course my brain goes to, okay, now let me see that list. And then we can sure. sort of work on, on the, the checklist of things. With well, let me plug yeah. a few things then for you. Um, yep. the, the books are Barbara Fredrickson is the world leading researcher on, um, positive emotional experience. The, the broaden and build theory of positive of emotion is the foundational work that then upward spirals grew out of her books are positive um i think it's positivity hold on a second uh yep so positivity and love 2.0 um my master's thesis was on all of the stuff i'm talking about so if you literally just search like upenn positive psychology darlene marshall capstone um it'll come up you can download it and go nerd out super hard along with all the theories about how this stuff works i'll tell you your stuff is going to be in my stuff before long because this is this is this is really connecting with me and i think a lot of people listening are like oh this is a this it's a big missing piece and it's not that we don't do this to some extent and not know what to call it right there is some of that like i see all the time with clients where one thing leads to another and all of a sudden just everything in their life is a win because these other things are now no longer giving them the stress or holding them back. And it's, it's, it's incredible to watch. Right. But to be able to actually uh, induce that, right. That's, that's where the power comes in. 
So and that's, may, yeah, and that's what that work is about. And I'll just throw this out there. Um, <clears throat> so the three things I start every client with in order to prime, and I, I'm happy to unpack the science underneath each of these practices, um, in order to prime the effect is some kind of appreciation or gratitude practice every day. 20 minutes of moderate intensity cardiovascular exercise to increase their sensitivity to their own serotonin and up to up regulate their brain derived nootropic factor and a mindfulness practice, some kind of meditation. Um, so what I'm trying to prime there is not only their malleability to change, but also the positive emotional priming, because we know that someone in a positive emotional experience is more open to new information. They have neuro, more neural flexibility. Um, they have greater self-regulation. They're more likely to explore. They're more curious. Like there's all of these things that happen when someone's in a positive emotional state, mm-hmm. not that challenging mm-hmm. emotional states aren't useful and they can be. But positive emotional states have a different effect in the brain and the nervous system that lend themselves toward the self-work. So by getting clients to start with that flexibility, everything else that we want to come next, they're leveraged into the upward spiral effect. And are those three habits that you gradually build in the first few weeks? Is that the idea? Or these are three things you do every day right off the bat? Most clients, uh, this is the one place yeah. that I tend to be prescriptive. Most right. clients, if they're not already doing them, that's the first, that's a prescription that cool. comes right out of the consult. Like, okay, you're going to work with me. Cool. I want you to do these things between now and our next meeting so that yeah. they're more flexible. And here's just a little thought that popped in my head, right? <sighs> you know, we like to say people have personalities and some people are more positive than others, optimistic than others. And yeah. again, I, I will use that labeling myself and like feel sure. like I've always been a positive, optimistic person who just brushes off things. And and yet when I look back at it, I know it's it's because of my environment. There's the social psychology aspect to it, um, the opportunities I was given as a child, my family, and so on. What do you think of that concept? And where I'm going with this is, is it it's got to be easier for some people to do this, right? When you oh, start yeah. with them potentially yeah. and, and how does that play into it? Or do we just, is it pretty much the same, same approach no matter who you are? It just might be easier for some people. Um, how, how technical of an answer do you want? Oh, I love tech. I love technical. Whether <laughs> okay. the listeners stays tuned, I'll, I'll see my Apple stats later. So we're getting theoretical a little bit. Um, we know that we all have a certain bandwidth of well-being and disposition towards you know, thriving, right? Um, Some people are Eeyores, some people are piglets, and some people are everywhere in between. Um, Optimism and pessimism, we think in the positive psychology space are not personality traits. They're what we call explanatory style. It's the lens that you are, are looking through on the things that happen to you. So pessimists in that context are looked at as when something goes wrong, is it, um, they, they view it as permanent, pervasive, and personal. So this sucks. It's always going to suck. It's because everything sucks and it's because I suck. Whereas the optimistic explanatory style looks at it like, um, okay, this sucks, but not everything sucks. It won't always suck and stuff happens to people. It's not anything wrong with me. And so when we think about optimism, pessimism in the positive psychology space, it's less about like that bandwidth I'm talking about that we all kind of had. Now on the upward spiral side, when we're talking, like you said, some people, this stuff is easier for, it's more accessible. Um, the theory is that the way that upward spirals work is you have something called vantage sensitivity. How much sensitivity do you have that you can take advantage when the good stuff happens, right? The same thing happens to the to Piglet and Eeyore. Eeyore is going, oh, and Piglet's like, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. 
So your vantage sensitivity is directly related to something called vantage resources. Do you have the mindset, the emotional social support, your foundational needs met, all of the factors that go into a lifestyle that support you to take that what we call a capitalization opportunity? Can you take advantage of the good thing emotionally and neurochemically? Now, like you said, we don't necessarily know why some people are more of a piglet than an Eeyore, but we also know that if we teach the Eeyore certain skills, give them access to um, whether we're talking about relationship support or um, community organizations, um, you know, psychological skills, reframing techniques, get them moving their bodies. You know, there's all these things that we can do for the Eeyore that increases their vantage sensitivity. Now, do they end up in the same place as Piglet? Not all of us, but expecting them to is also toxically positive. And really from my lens as a coach, it's what is what does Eeyore want for Eeyore? Hmm. <laughs> if Eeyore is okay with who they are, I don't Fair need enough. to force it onto them like a moral obligation. But if they want my help, I'm here to do it. Fair enough. Yeah, re- that relative change. You're right. Yeah, this is great. This is good stuff. I think this is awesome, Darlie. Uh, wow. Okay, I'm, I'm taking a ton of notes because this is this is awesome. I take it. This is fun. Um, I'm down. And, and you, so you talked about the habit priming, and I don't know if we already addressed this, but you said you talked about Barbara Fredrickson. I think you mentioned the FR, FR, fMRI studies on one of your other shows, how that show how the positive emotions affect the body differently than negative emotions, right? Neurological yeah. flexibility, broaden and build. So how does that pathway work and contribute toward the upward spiraling? Yeah. So there's actually the foundation for upward spirals. And so the, okay. the deal, if we take it to from an evolutionary psychology approach, um, we all have something called negativity bias. And it's because our ancestors were the ones who, when a threat presented mm. itself, they were looking out for that threat and then they never forgot it. Um, and the ones who were kind of like, eh, whatever, weren't likely to survive and reproduce because they were more likely to be um, you know, uh, uh, susceptible to a repeated threat. So from an evolutionary psychology standpoint, that negativity bias, um, we're more likely to think about all the negative stuff, but negative emotions narrow our focus, right? Mm. Um, And that is also an evolutionary benefit, right? The the tiger comes over the hill and we all have to be ready to respond. Um, The problem is now we're not living in that world because that kind of... um, challenging emotional response is very intensively stressful to the nervous system and therefore the entire body, right? Your autonomic nervous system, your vagus nerve, it is um, enervating all of your autonomic nervous system functions. So everything automatic that we don't have control of. So blood sugar and hormones and heart rate and um, I think blood pressure. I didn't say that one yet. Uh, And kind of everything else in between. And so that upregulated stress condition is not that great for us. It narrows our focus. We're looking for threats. The flip side of that positive emotional experience, um, our pupils constrict so that we are not so alert to threat. Our blood pressure comes down, resting heart rate relaxes. You know, there's all of these physiological changes. But on the psych side, you have less um, uh, subconscious biases, Hmm. You're more curious, you're more creative, you're a better problem solver. You're more likely to explore your environment. It's easier to make friends. It's easier to learn new material because in times of calm, that's when we would be bonding. That's when we would be exploring. That's when you would be learning new skills. 
you're not going to learn new skills with the tiger coming over the hill, but we're going to, you know, you're going to teach me cool stuff when we're all just hanging out. And so that also has a significant reparative function to the nervous system and the tissues of the body, because now all of those baseline processes that happen when you're in your parasympathetic, your calm state of your nervous system are kicking in when you feel the positive emotional experiences. Mm -hmm. So that is the broaden, right? I'm broadening my cognition. Build is learning skills and resources. Broaden and build theory is the foundation for upward spiraling. Okay. Love it. Yeah. So that, and that was a spiraling effect you just talked about with the positive experiences causing you to relax, <clears throat> making you more creative. And one thing leads to another. Shout out to Felipe. I know Philip for a long time. I know how passionate he is about healthy eating and body strength. And that's why I choose him to be my coach. I was no stranger to dieting and body training, but I always struggled to do it sustainably. Philip helped me prioritize my goals with evidence-based recommendations while not overstressing my body and not feeling like I'm starving. In six months, I lost 45 pounds without drastically changing the foods I enjoy, but now I have a more balanced diet. I weight train consistently, but most importantly, I do it sustainably. If a scientifically sound, healthy diet and a lean, strong body is what you're looking for, uh, Philip Pape is your guy. To be a little negative here, what if you take somebody who's on the opposite extreme who's really struggling with a lot of things. They're very negative about themselves. They're making excuses, things that are holding themselves back. And there's reasons for these, right? In people's lives, usually they might be overwhelmed. They're busy with life, they family, kids, career, whatever. Yeah. Um, or, or they've tried a lot of things that, and they think they're, they're um, applying themselves over the years and then those things don't work, right? Which is just yeah. reinforces this, this. So where would you start that conversation or the process to move them toward that actualization, I guess is the word. Yeah. So the first thing I always like to throw out in a conversation like that is the recognition that a coach, a positive psychology practitioner, a personal trainer, we are not clinicians. Mm -hmm. And very often when we are working with someone in a state like that, they may have untreated mental health considerations and making sure. And I, and I am very direct with my clients about scope of practice and the recognition that one, if we bump up the edge of the scope and I'm worried about you, I'm going to tell you that you need to go to therapy or, or I'm not going to continue working with you. Um, or they're already working with a therapist and I make sure their therapist knows that I exist and I respect mm. them and all of that. Sure. Um, and so there's that piece of so often the struggle bus and the overwork and the hyper productivity is reactive to some kind of unprocessed trauma or mental health consideration, right? Why, why would we want to create a life that burns us out, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it starts there from my perspective. Now, if you've got somebody who's already working with a therapist and then we enter that conversation and they're on the struggle bus and they feel overwhelmed and they feel overstimulated and, 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 and it always comes back to what is it that matters most to you, my client? What is your purpose, meaning, calling? Why are you here? Why work with me now? And if they can give me that information, I can help them make better choices about who they want to be when they grow up. Because they're working with me for a reason. Yeah, they I was going to say change. that. They, they reached out to you. They took that step. Yes. Right. So they want change. They, there has to be some vision of something else they want. Or they would not have reached out. Or if they reach out and there's nothing there, they wouldn't have gotten past the consult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be feeding me 
what is it that you're here to do? What is it that you want for you? What is the example you want to set for your kids? What is the um, change you're trying to make in the world? What is your leadership, your mission? Um, And anything else, to me, all of the lifestyle stuff is in service of that for it not to, you know, just be narcissism. Fair enough. Okay. So then where do these, so then we're talking a little bit also about ideas like agency, empowerment, right? Taking control of your life and so on. Where, where do these concepts comport with those, um, which are the opposite of codependence, right? And I know we're talking, when we talk about coaching and training and all that, we don't want that. We don't want a codependent relationship. We want what you're talking about here. So maybe explore that a little bit, Darlene. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, what you're talking about is the difference between codependence and interdependence, right? Um, And I'm a strong believer that an effective lifestyle practitioner should not be trying to like bootstrap some codependence in their client, Mm -hmm. um, which is not what I was taught as a trainer. I was taught it's always easier uh, to keep a client than get a client. And so you try to keep the clients forever. And the people who stay with clients forever are the most effective people. And really I'm like, if after three years of working with me, you can't work out on your own, I am not good at my job. Yeah. Yep. Because my job is to empower you with information. Mm -hmm. Now, if we find that that same person just knows that this is the right thing to do and they cannot find truly authentic internal motivation, okay, then let's create accountability structures. And that's different than I'm trying to trick you into renewal, which is, again, what I was taught as a trainer. Um, and, And the reason is that if I'm truly helping someone like walk the path to their authentic self, actualize on their purpose and meaning and calling, they won't need me after a certain point because they'll have learned everything that they were meant to learn. And then they're going to go, you know, with whatever their belief system is. Um, and, And if not, there's some other resistance there. And I just wasn't like the magic practitioner. And that's okay, right? Not everything works for everyone all the time is one of the most important things I try to put out there. If any practitioner tells you they have the perfect answer, just do my, do my five point system, my 10 point system, my three step system, (laughs) run because not everything works for everyone all the time. And no one practitioner has all of the answers for everyone. And if they think they do, they're actually just a narcissist. Yes. And, and did that happen? So can you recall a time where that happened to you where, Perhaps at the end of it all, you realize that you couldn't be the magic practitioner and then oh, yeah. maybe learn from it. And, and Oh, yeah, of course. Integrate, of course. Yep. Of course. I mean, it's, it's happened. How, how I don't know how many every times. Every client almost? Yeah. Oh, God, no, <laughs> not something. every. No, no, no. I, mean, I guess you learn something from working with every client. But <laughs> oh, sure. Not to that but, level, yeah. But specifically the failures. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. if, you, if you've got a big coaching audience, I'm happy to talk about accepting and learning from, and then moving on from the failures. And, you know, I, I know a thing or three about helping people Mm -hmm. and there have unquestionably been clients that I sit down with my notebook and I look back at and I go, okay, what did I get wrong? And without the sense of ownership that it was my, you know, it's my work, it's their work, but maybe it's the recognition that, you know what, I should never have accepted that renewal. Sure. I, I I knew that we were on the wrong path. They asked to stay and I let them stay and I never should have accepted that renewal. Nope. I should have heard them out. Or I knew six months before that, that I didn't want to be doing that kind of work anymore. And I, you know, it was the pandemic and I wasn't worried about money and yeah, yeah. bingo. And so I did it, but I, I wasn't aligned. 
And every time there has been a part of me that knew that we were not, we weren't it, but I kept pushing because I tried to convince Mm. myself. And I think one of the big lessons for me and one of the big lessons for every client is that there is a voice inside of you that you know is your authentic voice. There are things about yourself that you know to be true if you are honest with yourself. And when that voice says, you shouldn't be doing this anymore, listen to it. There you go. It's not a failure. It's just the next step. Yeah. And I think that even applies to the other side, right? If you're listening and thinking of working with someone and you, you, it's your job to interview them, right? And hold them accountable to what you want. Uh, yes. And make sure you ask them the questions that 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 set would set off any red flags for you. And if don't try to force the coach into doing what maybe isn't their thing for you, and vice versa, right? Um, that that's yeah, that that speaks to me as well because I definitely can think of some clients that I should never have taken on. You know, but you're like, well, yeah. they're super eager, so we'll work it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, a couple other other co- topics here I want to dive into. What are your thoughts about the fake it till you make it phenomenon, right? The idea of, I guess, manufacturing confidence to push through an obstacle, come out the other side, and then incrementally build your natural confidence. Oh, you know, it's funny. I thought when you were saying fake it till you make it, that you were referencing something else. Well, um, that's okay. Tell me what you think you're No, that's okay. Also, yeah. Well, I just, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out on the interwebs who use the word coach that aren't mm. trained as coaches. Let's get into that one. Qualified. Yeah, we can play this game. Uh, which direction? Thank you, Carl, for telling me. <laughs> Level it up, uh, Carl. Yeah. Um, well, just, just, I, let, let's just be real about it, right? So the, the word coach has a definition. Let's define that. Let's define what not, what is not a coach, but also the idea that people who uh, are not coaches. Let's make them aware of that and how they could become better coaches in the context of what you're talking about here. So there yeah. we go. That's a positive way to approach it. Yeah, let's flip it. So, <laughs> you know, let's recognize there's two usage of the word coach, right? There's like my nephew's basketball team mm. and his coach. That's a coach. Great. There's coaches in all, all level of sport. And the rest of us out here using the word coach are talking about individuals who are educated in the skill set of holding space, asking good questions, making an informative um, you know, paradigm with their clients or giving them good information, and then empowering the client to make good decisions for their own progress towards their own self-directed goals. A coach is not being prescriptive, right? A coach will give information and then they get out of the way. Um, they might give guidance, they might give a particular shape, but that's what coaching really is. You know, working through ambivalence, working through resistance, um, helping people get unstuck, but not by saying this is exactly what you do, right? Mm-hmm. That's a prescriptive model. If that's not what you're doing, you're not coaching and no shade on other modalities of change, but that's not coaching. It's something else. And so I mentioned, I come from the fitness industry, like personal training is not coaching. And even working within the corporate setting I was in, you'd get to a certain level and they'd start calling you a coach Mm. because they wanted to charge more money for your work, but you're still making a prescription with everything you're doing. You're, you're telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't coaching, it was training. Uh, and I see a lot of 
trainers out in the world who you get a certain amount of certifications and you want to distinguish yourself from other newer trainers. And so you start using the label coach. The problem is it creates a ton of confusion in the market. People end up not understanding the difference. um, And then they pay for something thinking they're going to get one thing and they get the other and then they're upset. Um, and so I, I have fallen into this pit. I have clients I have referred to someone because I thought they were coaching and then they turned mm-hmm. out making prescriptions and that's not what I wanted for that client and, 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 and. and so it, it is a pet peeve of mine. I'll own that I'm attached to yeah. it. it. Just, it, it, it just grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah. Now let's, now let's play devil's advocate because earlier you mentioned you, there is something you prescribe and that is those three habits. Yeah. And then also two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's okay. But that's context. And there's also, uh, my interpretation of what you're saying a little bit is, is meeting the individual and understanding what they want. They're asking for something, then, then you can guide them. Um, but you do have to give them information and giving information. So for example, if, if someone very simply just wants a nutrition plan, right? Not, not a meal plan, but just, they want to understand how do I go from here to here, uh, lose fat, right? Just a very simple, practical thing. And you have to get them in that calorie deficit to do that. So is providing guidelines for how to do that and targets prescriptive and not coaching, even though you're coaching them on how to stick to that and how to do all the things to get there? In my opinion, yes. Because it, as, as somebody who's been a nutrition coach for 10 years, um, additive nutrition coaching is not a prescriptive protocol. Mm-hmm. But there are also times that someone's working toward an outcome that requires a prescriptive protocol, right? I got friends who are competitive fighters and bodybuilders and rugby players. And, you know, you got to make weight. So if you got to make weight, you need a prescription. That's when you need a really effective expert practitioner who is a trainer or a nutritionist specialized in those ways. But that's not coaching a process. That's Mm -hmm. prescribing a paradigm. And again, I'm not demonizing doing that. I'm just saying like, can we use the word for the thing we mean? Yeah. I'm trying to understand where there's like a hybrid in there, which kind of seems like (laughs) there's a high, you know, where you're doing both. Right. Yeah. I do do both. Uh, Many of my clients are hybrid clients where I'm like, okay, we got two hats here. And when we get to your movement, if what you want is prescriptive movement protocol, because, you know, your movement screening is showing significant dysfunction. I need you to do these and they, but they consent to it. Right. I, Mm -hmm. I am transparent with them about the difference between coaching and training. And when they say, yeah, that would be amazing. Could you train me? And then I'm writing their exercise protocol so that we get that specific outcome. That's when prescriptive is appropriate, but it's also not coaching. That's a hybrid coach trainer model. And that is how I run my business. Love that. Yeah. And you made me think about a book. I wish I could remember the name of it. It's about asking for feedback. I don't know if you've heard this book before. Mm. And it distinguishes the like three types of feedback that you want from someone that the important the important thing is do you need to ask for the feedback you want don't rely on somebody else to to guess at what you need yeah. and coach coaching is one of those and but there were like two other types and it kind of sounds like a similar uh categorization as you're giving me here um it's interesting yeah i was reflecting on that even ever since carl brought it up as well that i know some of my clients where we have a prescription for say macros but then they they learn the process and can do it themselves after a while. We don't even talk about it anymore. And I'm like, that's that's an interesting, you know, it's kind of like one shifting into another. 
Uh, and then meanwhile, all these other things having nothing to do with the prescription seem to be where people get hung up, the behavioral stuff, the change, the yeah. whatever, you know. So it's just, it's fascinating well, philosophically, yeah. And yeah, like I think you're leading into what I want to say is like, this is my opinion, right? Like, sure. yeah, it's, it's all made up by people anyway, right? Yeah. We're just, we're making up words and slapping <laughs> them onto stuff. It's all a construct that we sure. invented and we get to evolve and change. And my argument is just like, hey, wouldn't it be better if we were being specific about the thing that we say we're doing? And like, not just everybody is suddenly a coach, even though you have no education in facilitating meaningful Agreed. behavior change. And the flip of that is coming from the fitness space, a lot of fitness industry education and behavior change is just outdated and wrong. And yeah. so then you're working off of paradigms that aren't effective, calling yourself a coach. Um, right. So that's that's my argument. No, I love it. And, and there's a transparency element and there's a, you know, the trying to make money off of these things and these labels and certs and but doc, you know, yeah. credentials you have behind your name. And it's not like we could all just stop people from being hucksters. That's like humanity's always kind of been like that. But yeah. those of us who want to do better and learn and hopefully are listening to this podcast and to your stuff can at least start to describe it more precisely. And as we have our sales calls or our discovery calls or talk on our podcast, it's like make a distinction between those. So I, which I, I will be doing more now after learning this from you. So there you go. You made an impact. Um, <laughs> okay. So what else do we want to cover? Oh, your podcast. Um, your podcast, I like the premise, right? Of, of examining ancient traditions in modern science. And it kind of, it strikes me as it's like the parallels between um, evidence-based science and anecdotal experience or common sense, like yeah. what you discussed, I think, on your episode on additive nutrition is what I was referring to. Um, how do you balance those perspectives? So separating like the fringe ideas of from ancient traditions, and maybe I'm using the, the word fringe in a loaded way, uh, <laughs> that, that might actually work. Things that work but aren't really considered evidence-based because they're rooted in ancient traditions. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, you know, first off, like, let's just layer on, there's so much appropriation in the wellness space, right? Like there's a lot. Of, and, and as a middle-aged white woman, <laughs> I got to own, you know, respect for whatever culture or lineage we might be using as inspiration or influence mm -hmm. in a particular practice. Um, Obviously, alignment yoga, it's an Iyengar derivative, you know, that is a big base of my entry into these alternative ways mm -hmm. of thinking that we're now just really starting to measure and understand in more and more nuanced ways. And meditation is such a perfect example, where within our lifetime, I'm making some assumptions about your age, um, within our lifetime, it's really gone from this like esoteric woo woo thing to totally mainstream with a ton of research. Um, and we can we can thank the Dalai Lama and we can thank John Kabat-Zinn uh, and, you know, all of the the hippies for having brought those practices back. And then we examine them. And so a lot of times what I'm trying to do is really look at, well, what is this thing that we think of as kind of woo? Where is the science underneath the thing that mm -hmm. most people think of as kind of woo? And Upward Spirals is a perfect example. It sounds really hippy dippy. Mm -hmm. And in actuality, it's measurable effects. Um, and in terms of, you know, like the added nutrition thing, really, that comes out of the recognition that people get a lot more nutritional traction, they make more progress 
longer and sustain it longer. I, I said that all in the wrong order. Um, when you focus more on putting in the good stuff instead of removing right. all the oh, things yeah. that have been demonized. And it's really so that good. simple. Um, and so when I first start the nutrition conversation with my clients, I don't give them a list of all the foods they're going to avoid. Right. That is useless. And their next birthday party or the weekend, heck, I got a client right now who the, her doctor gave her a single printout sheet of her new diet <sighs> and no support in actualizing on it. And she said to me, she's like, I'm not starting this till Monday. Sunday's Mother's Day and my birthday's this week. Like, why would I do this? And I'm like, great. Yep. Can I just get you to eat more protein, please? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> protein. Yeah. <laughs> So specifically from the additive nutrition peach, it's just how do we apply what we know about behavior change and the human experience? And what we know is that people are not getting enough of the right things in the right ways, yet we're all just talking about how evil sugar is all the time. Mm -hmm. And the more you demonize, like it's the pink elephant thing, right? When I was trying to quit smoking and I just kept thinking about how badly I wanted a cigarette, that was totally different than when I filled my life up with enough positive things mm -hmm. that I no longer needed the stress relief of the cigarette, right? This is going yeah. back 15 years. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and there's there's a parallel there between positive versus negative or positive versus traditional psychology as well. And I'm seeing these constant themes yeah. of focusing yeah. on the positive, whatever we mean by that. And the idea, and I use that same um, analogy with the protein of, uh, when you just, when you try to get enough protein, it starts to crowd other things out. You just can't help it. Right. And when you yeah. go to the grocery store and look for protein, you end up being on the outside of the store because that's where all the protein is, you know? So I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, no, dig, I dig it too. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and the fringe, I, the, these, what, what we think are fringe ideas or hippy dippy or whatever, um, when you could actually validate them with science and show how they work. There, there was a guy on my podcast that hasn't come out yet. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Christopher. I can't forget his last name, but he taught, he basically is uh, Eastern medicine, traditional medicine and mm -hmm. like meridians and some of that. And, and I have yeah. my skepticism meter is so high on oh, that. Oh, let's stuff. talk about it. Let's talk about it. Oh, you want to talk about <laughs> it? I wasn't even going to ask you about it, but yeah, no. And, and, and the way he described it, I'm thinking, well, there's something there with the nervous system and, and muscles and everything and else. And fascial lines. Yeah. And go at, Yeah, exactly. Um, that like doesn't so seem to make sense. many of yeah. the main meridians. Yeah. track with what we now understand to be fascial lines. Yeah. And in 2018, um, Dr. Neil Thies published his research showing that fascia is actually an organ in the interstitium. And so the, you know, along the interstitium, things like vibration and sound and light travel further than other connective tissue structures. Oh, the so, physics of it. Okay. Right. So yeah. we're just starting to measure what the interstitium can do in a way that allopathic medicine, Western medicine can quantify. And part of what made makes Neil Thies brilliant as a practitioner, his book notes on complexity comes out this week um, is he's also a Zen Buddhist in addition to being uh, one of the world's leading liver pathologists. Mm. And so he's bringing that influence into trying to show Western medicine that there's much bigger scope than we are necessarily um, um, taking into account. Um, but like the meridian lines follow interstitium main, mm. like main lines. And I guarantee you in our lifetime, we're going to have better ways to measure what that's really on about. Awesome. Um, and I could go on and on about like prana versus sheath versus your mitochondria. And essentially this idea that these 
these traditions that are so much older than Western paradigms were using their vernaculars to try to explain something that they had, they could observe, but they didn't yet have the technology to measure. And add to that, our most advanced physicists understand that we can measure about 5% of the phenomena in the universe, mm. right? That, that's so, where it's good. That's, that's true. We know very little. So, right. Yeah. If we can only measure 5% of the observable universe as we experience it, there's all kinds of stuff that we don't know. And what I do when it comes to an application with my clients, the placebo effect is still in effect. I don't care if that's placebo. I care, did it make you more better? And did it, it move you toward the thing that yeah, you wanted? Did it work? Yeah. Who cares the, yeah. if it's placebo? I agree. I agree. There's there's a lot of things like that. We just do them, they work, and we don't understand them, and that's okay. Exactly. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, women's health. I don't even want to get into it. I'm just saying I'm thinking of a lot of parallels with women's health and what we don't know. Oh, and heck the yes. gaslighting and everything goes on because I have women in my life and clients that have dealt with that. It's just terrible. But but yeah. there's there's hope when when you talk about, you know, uncovering some of the the mysteries as we go along. Yeah. Okay. So I, do you have a couple more minutes? Sure, let's go. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask what your favorite personal episode of your podcast is just to help you like plug it a little, but also I want to understand what your favorite theme or episode is of your, you just asked me to pick my favorite toe, like <laughs> well, pick one or a theme uh, that was part two or a theme that you keep. Okay, cool. I was like, I can't tell you my yeah, favorite yeah, episode. I, hear, I like couldn't either. So you're my right. My favorite Not, eyelash. Like <laughs> it's a tough question. How, how would I, it's well, cause it's such yeah. an extension of my self conception and when it comes it. to being like. Oh, Charlene. Um, you know, I think the cool thing about the show is how much it's evolved. So I started the show originally in February of 2020 when NASM invited me onto their podcast network. We had to do a reboot because I had been cursing in all the previous episodes okay. and they didn't want me to swear on the network. Okay, fine. I'll take Oh, again, so like, that's a lot of I'll repression right there for you, right? <laughs> um, actually, I originally the plan was to have you seen The Good Place? Yeah. Love that okay. Show. The plan yeah, was Mel, to yeah. like, yeah. yeah, to like the way they do curtsing on the good place. Oh, where it's weird like, words, made up words. Yeah, yeah, weird words that had the same leading letter. So that was originally my plan. I was like, no, that, uh, but it would make it too obvious. So anyway, mm. um, so we had to do a reboot on the show. It's now been on their network for a year. So we're um, just had our 50th episode on the network. Um, but originally it was really going to be, like you say, ancient wisdom, modern science through a well-being lens, the fitness industry and all that. And then the pandemic hit. And so the first two years of the show were really focused on like, what is the emergent thing that we're all experiencing right now? Mm -hmm. And how could I give you tools to help with it? And then as we came out of the pandemic and now we're moving into um, who are we now? How do we take these major forces of the human experience, like species level challenges, learn from them, integrate and step forward? And this recognition that as millennials, you know, young Gen X, millennials, like we're the adults in the room now. We get a say. So if we're the adults in the room, what are we going to do with it? And how do we do it in a holistic, positive, additive way in a world that has a lot of challenges? Um, and so how do we dismantle some of the toxic stuff that we've been given? Um, obviously, the fitness and wellness spaces have a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we're doing right now 
is a series with one of the program directors at NASM. So he runs the teams that are pulling together the new courses. They're, they're kind of cultivating the educational materials that NASM produces. Well, he's been on the show this, so he's about to come in again next month. So we're getting a clip of like every six weeks or so he comes on the show and he's done a full deep dive literature review into a topic that's controversial in the fitness industry. And we talk about why the conventional wisdom is wrong. So mm -hmm. we just did okay. fat bias in public health. Next, uh, The next one we're going to do is on BMI. We did one in January on why is dieting actually bad? Mm-hmm. Why is everything you think you know, I mean, even in this conversation, Philip, you, you mentioned caloric restriction and changing body composition. What most people think that means is actually detrimental mm -hmm. to their long-term well-being and doesn't actually work, but we've been taught to think it does. So that whole episode is him going through all the scientific evidence and us talking through it in a way that would empower the listener to make better choices. Cool. Um, so yeah, the, the, the show's evolved a lot and it's been really fun to do that. Yeah, I love that, that you answered the question that way, telling us the whole story of how it's changed because you know, my podcast is only a year or what is it now, a year and a half. And even in that short time, it's just amazing yeah. how, how things go. Um, and the skepticism, you know, my, my mission is also to kind of put the skeptical lens on and you're ramping it up for me here, which I love, like it's really challenging. It made me think. Uh, you also it's perfectly guessed my age when you said uh, Gen X millennial. So you got it right. <laughs> I was assuming we're the same age. I was born in 1980. So it's right 83. In there. Yeah, there this is my 40 year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, congrats. Brad. Happy I guess. Birthday. Thanks. Um, and then, and then taking species level challenges and learn. I love the ambition and everything. Oh, yeah. It's great. This is awesome. Good stuff. So um, second to last question I asked all guests, Dar Darlene, and that is, what one question did you wish I had asked and what is your answer? You know, I tried to, I had my answer for this and you actually ended up asking oh, it. Look um, at that. I love when that happens. <laughs> okay. So I've got a new one. Um, okay. I think one of the most important conversations we need to be having as a species, as a, especially in the, the technologically advanced countries um, is about loneliness. We are experiencing a loneliness epidemic that we are only just beginning to understand the ramifications of, um, the mental health crisis that we are having. Um, but a lot of it is due to the lack of feeling authentic connection and compassion and open heartedness to one another. And it sounds really woo, except there is very hard science on this. Um, I did do an episode on loneliness in the middle of the winter. And I encourage, if you're going to listen to anything, go back and listen to that one. Um, because the physical, emotional, and mental health ramifications of loneliness are profound. It is more impactful than diabetes and smoking. But we shrug it off like it's NBD. Um, mm. And there was, a, there was a very cute study that came out earlier this year that showed that what reaching out to your friends that you haven't talked to in a long time, you anticipate that they're not going to care. In actuality, they get this huge boost. Mm. Um, so if you take one thing away from me uh, to our listeners, go text somebody you haven't talked to in six months. They need to hear from you because we all need each other really desperately right now. Um, not only for our short-term well-being, but there's no way we're going to solve the problems that we're all facing alone. We got to do it together, which means we have to figure this loneliness thing out. So if you're listening, 
Think about that person, go through your history, go through your contacts, find at least one, maybe three people that you haven't talked to in a long time and or text them just to say hi. Yeah, there you go. And send them a funny meme or something else if yeah. you want to. Go for it. Emojis. Emojis. All right. <laughs> cool. So Darlene, where can listeners learn more about you and your work if they, have, if they don't know already? <laughs> yeah. So obviously the show is better than fine. Uh, I've got a Substack, coachdar.substack.com, which is all just it, almost all of its application articles. It's like Coach whatever Dara. that thing is that you're, yeah, more, the, the Substack's called more better. Um, the show is better than fine, more better. Um, and then Instagram, I'm darlene.coach. Uh, my website is darlene.coach. I like to keep it all neat. <laughs> nice. I easier. love it. Yeah. Easier to remember. All about branding. All right. So this has been a lot of fun, darling. Really, I'm, I'm I'm super excited. I'm glad Carl recommended you. So I want to give him a uh, shout out for that. Shout I'm glad I found you and your content. The whole, just everything. It's so refreshing and it resonates. And I think the listener is going to get a ton of value from this episode. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. If you've been inspired by today's interview and are ready to take action and build momentum on your health and fitness journey, just schedule a free 30-minute nutrition momentum call with me using the link in my show notes. I promise not to sell or pitch you on anything, but I will help you gain some perspective and guidance so we can get you on the right track toward looking and feeling your best. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best, and these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.